Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Gary. I'm Gary. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, Gary. And I'm going to tell you to keep track of the time myself, um, I'm going to tell you about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Let me get a few numbers on the table first. Um, I'm 61 years old. I came into OA originally in 1972. The only thing I count about that is the fact that I came in in 1972 as an example of somebody who came and went and came and went and by the grace of God, is able to survive. My top weight is 324 pounds. My last weighing was actually uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, and at that point I weighed, um, uh, I'm sorry, did I say 324 pounds? I'll get that right. I'm nervous. Uh, My weight as of um, last two Sundays ago was 210, so I've lost... um, 120 pounds, 205, I'm sorry, I've lost 120 pounds. Like I said, I'm nervous. Um, I've been a compulsive reader my entire life, far back as I can remember. My mom tells funny stories, you know, mother funny stories, the funny story about how they had to start me on skim milk. I was a preemie, and then they had to start me on skim milk because I was gaining weight so fast. I don't have a lot of early memories. The, the, the earliest memory I have, and it's kind of one of those things that has evolved from a real memory into something kind of fantastical, is eating uh, lunch with my dad across the street from the trucking company that he, um, that he owned and, and remembering you know, the hamburger combination plate and a hamburger that I, in my mind's eye is as big as a you know, um, uh, hubcap. People even remember hubcaps anymore. Um, I was always the fat kid in the neighborhood. I'm not very tall. My my I'm five foot four and three quarters. So um, I've always been short. I was have always been most of my life been fat. Um, because of being premature and being an incubator, I was cross-eyed when I was born, and I have have had really lousy lousy depth perception. My rule of thumb is if there's a ball coming toward my face. I walk away from it, move aside. I don't understand people who, you know, throw their hands up and go toward it. Um, so I was the fat kid in the neighborhood. And I'm also, and, and I'm saying this strictly as an observation, I've been told this by other people, I know this, I am smart. I learned to read very young, so my world revolved around food and fantasy. Um, I don't know how old I was when I started being sort of ambulatory away from um, the immediate uh, area of our home. But we lived on um, a street called Helms Avenue. And here in Southern California, there is an infamous or famous bakery. Or was, it's no longer there. I mean, the building's there. Called Helm's Bakery. And they used to come around these little yellow trucks playing some sort of a tune. And they would sell baked goods out of it. Well, I made a discovery. Two blocks from our house, up the end of the block, across the big street, up the end of the other block, was their disposal store. 
Everything that was a day old from the trucks went to the store. And my mother used to keep change um, in a cup. In It was a cup, I guess, was meant for cigarettes. Is what the original thing in the days when you would put cigarettes out. Um, uh, and would be full of quarters, particularly. And I remember stealing, I would steal money to walk up two blocks. And um, I do talk about food. I didn't have a goodie or a what's it or a, or a thing. I ate food. I ate hamburgers and french fries and all those things. And I need to share the, the facts of it with people. I'm sorry if it upsets anybody. But um, they used to have fruit turnovers. And I would buy them with stolen money. Um, elementary school was a nightmare. I was picked on constantly. I had a... a made a friend who was bigger than everybody else. He protected me, and when his family moved away, I was basically the butt of everything. And food, and my ability to read, and fantasy um, filled my filled my life. Filled my life. I was, I, as I said, I was smart. Um, I was interested in science. Um, I lost weight the first time. I have vague memories of Weight Watchers, but I don't remember when that was was and, and vague memories of things like some of you remember Metrical and, and um, I guess Tab is still around. Um, it isn't diet anything, it's Tab, right? Um, but I remember I was 15 years old and I weighed myself and I weighed 170 pounds. I, I killed away 170 pounds today, but I weighed 170 pounds and I was horrified. And I simply adjusted what I ate and I lost 30 pounds in three months. I was involved with a girl at the time. She um, decided I was too clingy and needy, that dropped me, and gradually my weight started to go up. Um, I was also introduced to drugs, and I don't identify as a drug addict. However, drugs, particularly stimulants and marijuana, are an integral part of my, of my story. I was introduced to uh, Benzedrine, and we used to buy Bennies, as we call them, and you know, without them, I was a little short, fat Jewish boy in West L.A. who hated himself and was ashamed of who he was. And with them, I was James Bond. And it started a pretty much lifelong love of stimulants also, which get endorsed as a way to lose weight. Um, I was 19. I remember I got put on, um, what's, what the hell was it called? Dexamil. It's Dexedrine. And then there's a tranquilizer called Miltown. So as you get toward the end of it, at the end of the day, it was a time capsule. So at the end of the day, as you um, started coming down, you wouldn't be all raggedy and, and everything. You'd come down smoothly. And I loved it. And I was taking those and also other things. And But I didn't lose weight. It had nothing to do with losing weight. You know, I was hyper and everything else. Uh, when I was 19... Um, when, I was, when I was... I'm sorry. When I was 17, I got introduced to marijuana, which I loved. When I was 19, I did LSD the first time. And all the time, it was about the food. I was the guy, and we would have, if anybody remembers, old enough to remember, pot parties. I was the guy who would make sure we ordered the pizzas. Guys, you need to order more than one pizza. Everybody's going to want more than one. Let's get it now before we get started so that we'll have it when we want it. They got their drug. I got mine. Um, I moved out. When I was 19, I moved in with three other guys in a one-room apartment. We were playing hippie for a summer. I met a girl, and uh, she liked me. 
but she also made it very clear she wasn't going to have sex with me unless I um, lost weight. And I lost 60 pounds in six months on the Dr. Stillman diet. All the meat, fish, eggs, cottage cheese you can eat. Uh, the story goes, the story seems to evolve the same way. I'm too needy, I'm too clingy. She broke up with me. Um, and between um, summer of 71 and um, November of 72, I went from 140 pounds to 225 pounds. I came to my first OA meeting on November 15, 1972. I walked into the rooms. And I knew what was wrong. I got asked to lead, read How It Works, the very first um, meeting I was at. And I had to say, I'm Gary and I'm a compulsive overeater at the very first meeting. Um, I, uh, there was a diet at that time, a food plan called Gray Sheet. It was on great paper. No carbohydrates. Lost all my weight. I'm, this is becoming redundant now. I met a woman. She wasn't in the program. I left. She broke up with me. Same story. She was. She wanted to be whatever she wanted to be, and um, and I came back. I came back in, in 1974. I don't know how long I was abstinent at that period of time. I came back to um, a period where there was a lot of conflict between carbohydrate abstinence and people that called themselves moderate mealers. If you saw what I ate, you would never have called it a moderate meal, but I also was 24, 25, 26 years old, and as a friend of mine, and some of you know John Kay, would say I had the metabolism of a hummingbird. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was only recently I ran in, was in a store, and I looked at the calorie count on something I used to eat, these little fruit pies, and realized that I was dropping 1,500 calories as a, in, as, a, as a transit snack for years. Um, I lost all my weight. I was hip. I was slick. I was cool. I did what I could. I got abstinent. I, um, I led my first meeting with 30 days. I spoke the first time at six months. I was a circuit speaker. I was on the uh, first LA intergroup board. And over the next... I don't know how many years I gradually drifted away. Um, the woman I had met in 72 came back into my life. Hey, if it doesn't work the first time, let's try it again and let's make it even more permanent. Let's get married. Um, I married this woman. Um, I did not, when I first met her, realize she was uh, had a problem with food. Turns out she had a problem with food. She had a problem with... She, let me rephrase that. She was overweight and had it seemed to have an eating problem, identified herself as a compulsive reader. Let me say that that way. I have since know that she's she's identified herself to me as an alcoholic and so on. And this was the kind of person I was attracted to. Somewhere in that period, my sense of what being abstinent meant gradually expanded the way um, I would keep different sizes of clothes in my closet. So I could gradually sort of slip into, you know, the 32s don't fit, the 33s fit. You know, so that it's never quite there. And I was doing a lot of other things. I was living a very wild life in the late 70s, early 80s. I was back into taking stimulants. And the important thing was I was, I was really being deceitful. 
Um, this is going to sound redundant, but she broke up with me. We were married. She wanted a divorce. She wanted to... Well, she said, she said I needed to leave later. A year later when she made amends, she said to me, she said, I needed to leave you and go be where I could um, uh, drink the way I wanted to. And um, I had gone back to school to become a therapist. Seems like half of us around here do that. And so I was in school. Um, I was in the middle of a divorce. I was writing a master's thesis. The master's thesis took, instead of six months, it took 18 months, and my mood dropped like a rock. And I got into exercise bulimia and restricting. Um, and I I knew, for me, the most important thing in my I was so wound and so crazy and so anxious and so fearful that, you know, it started off with one of my friends talking me into um, running. And so, we'll, you know, come with me to the trap, walk one, run one, walk one. I can't even talk. Walk one, run one. And gradually, over several months, I got to the point where I was running three miles every day. Um, I was also doing a job where I dealt with people who were referred to me by the court. I was afraid of them. And I got given a, a, a birthday present by my parents of a um, martial arts course. And I got very into it. And I was doing uh, running three miles a day, working out every morning quite extensively, and doing six hours a week of martial arts. And my weight stayed down. I was also smoking pot, doing speed. Um, all week I would restrict. You know, my idea of, of a meal was um, one of those little cartons of cottage cheese and some sort of um, a protein bar or a little salad the size of a dinner salad with a sprinkling of, you know, something on it, a protein of some sort. And then on the weekends, when I was um, uh, totally, you know, freaked out by how... Um, I was trying to figure out why my timer was looking so weird, and I realized I had it set for an hour and ten minutes and not ten minutes. Um, I'm trying to keep track so I don't spend all the time on what it was like. And there was a level, and, and so on the weekends, I would get crazy. All the, the weight was off, I mean, the, the, the weight of life was off. And um, I remember I would go down to um, uh, Acapulco, if anybody remembers, I don't even know if they're still around anymore, Acapulco Mexican restaurant, and I would binge. I would have a huge, enormous meal that included everything under the sun, including dessert and alcohol. And then the next day I wouldn't eat. I would drink lots and lots of coffee for its laxative effect. Now, never would I take, never would I take a laxative. God help me, no. But lots and lots and lots of coffee and no food. And that, that terrible, terrible food hangover. You know, where you feel like, or I would feel like I was full from my lips all the way down to the exit. And um, the exit up from the body, where the food leaves. Okay? I'm not going to be too crude on the tape here. Um, and I, um, but I was around. I came to meetings from time to time. Um, I didn't tell people the truth about what was going on in my life. I, um, I played the hip, slick, and cool role. I was in therapy. I was working as a therapist. 
and gradually over time the whole thing started to unravel. Um, I got finished with school and found I couldn't make a living as a therapist. I got into something else related and related to insurance. And gradually the weight kept creeping up. I don't know what I weighed, but I know that um, I, um, the weight kept creeping up. Um, I moved back to the, to the west side, got involved with another woman, moved in with her. We broke up, moved again. And um, in the mid-80s, I was working for an eating disorder program, or early 80s, mid-80s, mid-80s. And, of course, wasn't telling people about the pot that I smoked and the cocaine that I snorted and the speed that I used and the crazy ways that I controlled my food and the strange places I went after work. Um, and I, this is, this is, it becomes redundant. I met somebody who worked at the program, one of the interns. We got into a relationship, and once again, my, my selector was perfect, bulimic, pothead, you know. Um, we, um, we lived together. We got married. The marriage lasted nine weeks. Um, and through all of this, I was doing every possible thing I could to keep my weight down the best I could. In the... Um, um, I guess late 80s, I, I said I changed career. Well, I changed careers, and I don't know what I weighed. I don't know how much I weighed, but one of the guys that I know, who I worked with, who was a bodybuilder, got me. Is it warm in here, by the way? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm really warm. Um, I guess we're doing the best we can here. I'm also anxious. Um, got me involved in this. And that was the time when, when everybody was, had that whole thing of, you know, carbohydrates, if you could eat a lot of carbohydrates and you'll lose weight and all that. And, and he got me on this, um, this diet. Now, I'd been working um, uh, out in, I um, can't remember, but it was like, in the morning it was like 35 minutes to work. At night it was anybody's guess from 5 o'clock. So I discovered there was a whole row of happy hours near where I worked. And I wasn't interested in the alcohol. I'll have a drink. you got to have a drink I mean, in order to do it. But I was interested in grazing through, and I convinced myself that the happy hour food was my dinner. And, you know, if you've been to those, you know what the kind of things they serve. And I would graze through that, and I gained a lot of weight. And he talked me into this um, high-carbohydrate Diet. I was eating a cup of, uh, you know, a cup of oatmeal in the morning, and, and it, it worked. I lost weight. I got down to 177 pounds, and that was um, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. Uh, another relationship had ended, and I'm sort of drifting around away. I'm not working a program. I'm not. I occasionally drop into a meeting. Um, I'm not telling people what's going on in my life. I'm not listening to anybody else. Um, I'm still getting using drugs. And um, in um, I made another set of moves. Another relationship ended. Um, I changed job. In the same month, um, a relationship ended. I moved and I changed jobs. 
And at that point, it was about 20 years ago when I was 177 pounds. And in some ways, that was the moment that the whole thing started to take off again. Um, I, I was down to 177 pounds. I was working uh, this new company. And gradually over time, my weight started up. Um, I reconnected with somebody that I, um, um, that I used to be involved with. There was a lot of chemistry, a lot of energy. Um, after several years, we got married. We are still married, although the relationship is very rocky right now. And one of the stipulations that she made was that she wouldn't be involved with me if I still smoked pot. And so I stopped smoking pot. And that was the jumping off point. That's where my weight started to climb again. Um, we're talking the um, early, ni- early 90s. Um, and I really wasn't going to meetings. I didn't want to know you people. Uh, I didn't want to hear about the program. Uh, I knew everything there was to know about how to do the whole thing, and I would tell you about it. Um, and the nightmare that I only came out of 28 months ago, 27 and change months ago, started. Um, I don't know when exactly, um, but I, I started, the first thing that happened was I, um, I had a, um, gallbladder attack. And I was told that it was from the level of high-fat food I was eating, and I lost my gallbladder, had to have my gallbladder. My wife kept after me for at least a year about my snoring. It seems I also, when I get obese, have a condition called sleep apnea, which is very, very dangerous because what happens is your, your throat closes up if you're lying prone while you're sleeping, and you can't breathe. And so you're constantly falling asleep and waking up and falling asleep and waking up and falling asleep and waking up. And that's an important part of my my story because like everything else I've been in denial about my weight about my physical health about um, anything that was going on in my life um, at some point around there and I don't remember when I tried another magic trick does anyone remember Fen Fen <laughs> yes both of us went on Fen Fen so we could lose weight to get married. And we did. A little. You know, some. But, you know, I can eat around being on stimulants. They've never really kept me from eating. Um, we got married and we had a dream. And I can't speak about anybody else. I can't characterize her, her thinking. But my dreams were all in the air. I had no stability. I had no um, recovery. I had no spiritual connection. What I had was imaginings in my head and one true God, which was food. So, life seemed like it was getting better. 1999, I got a promotion. If anybody remembers Apocalypse Now, there's a line in there where, where um, 
can't remember who the character is, is, but he says, says, I wanted a mission and for my sins they gave me one. And I will never ever want another mission again. Well, 1999, I got a promotion. For my sins they gave me one. And I will never ever want another promotion again. It was the job that went from looking wonderful to a disaster through no real fault of my own. In fact, I got told by people that I had kept the whole team from coming apart. But, you know, 1999, the nightmare really started. Uh, it was a horrible year. Um, my mother-in-law's cat died. My brother-in-law died of, kidney, of stomach cancer without telling we never knew. And I'm continuing to eat. I don't know what I weighed. Um, my mother-in-law got diagnosed with um, uh with Alzheimer's, my father was having what are called transient ischemic attacks, little mini strokes. My wife's cat died. My father died in um, uh, December, just before his 80th birthday. And I ended the year with bronchitis. The following year, I got diagnosed with cancer. I had cancer of the kidney. And kidney cancer is a cancer that men over 50 with high fat, high cholesterol diets, obese men with high fat, high cholesterol diets get. And the key part about it is it's a silent cancer. There is absolutely no symptom until the tumor ruptures your kidney and you start urinating blood. Um, through a series of oddball circumstances, God shot kind of stuff, um, I got encouraged to go in and have some tests for something else. They discovered my lymph in my chest was enlarged. They discovered that um, there was spots in my right lung. And they got me another CAT scan, and lo and behold, I had a four-inch tumor in my right kidney that looked like it was going to rupture my kidney any day. And I had to go in for surgery, remove the kidney. Now, they told me that what I needed to do was lose weight. 50 pounds would be great, lose it fast, because I need to be thinner for the surgery. The thinner I am, the better I am. I'm sure everybody in the room and anybody listening to this anywhere in the world can tell you what I did. I gained weight. Again, I don't know what I weighed. My wife and I were, uh, I went into meltdown. I went into terror and meltdown. Um, the recovery rate from the cancer that I have, I had my kidney removed. There was a scare when they thought there was a tumor on the back of my chest wall. I'm continuing to eat. Um, and I, um, uh, I gained more weight. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Time moves faster than I, than I imagine. After the, I was actually went into a severe depression after getting told I was in recovery. Uh, there's a 20% recovery over five years from this cancer with chemo. I never had chemo. Somebody wanted me around. But I continued to eat. My wife and I continued to fight. We're very, we're very estranged. We were. I mean, we're, we're getting along much better. And I wasn't paying attention to anything. And the first week in June of uh, 2009, I was feeling sick. I couldn't tell you what it was. I didn't feel well. I went to the doctor. 
doctor got me on the scale, and lo and behold, I weigh 200 and 324 pounds. Well, why not? Um, I had a day off of work. I went back. I was getting ready to go back to work. And walking from the shower to the sink, I was out of breath with my heart racing. I ended up in the hospital. I had what's called atrial fibrillation. In retrospect, what it turns out is that something that didn't have have to have happened had a good... But I, I sleep with a machine that pumps air into my lungs um, to combat the, the sleep apnea. And the machine was leaking. And that triggered the atrial fibrillation. I spent four days in the hospital. Um, they were terrifying days. One of the ways they deal with sleep apnea, if, I mean, with atrial fibrillation, if the medication doesn't um, fix it, is they stop your heart and restart it. And that could kill a 300-pound man. The only thing I can tell you about what happened at that point is the grace of God. My wife is, among other things, a minister. She had been up in Santa Barbara at a conference that she was part of the leadership of. As soon as it was over, she came roaring down. And we spent three days, or most of three days, in that hospital room in prayer and meditation for reasons I cannot explain except to say God, which doesn't explain it. I started eating sanely in the hospital. Uh, bizarre, you're in there with a heart problem, and they bring you a menu. You can make choices. You don't have to make the good choices. You can make whatever choices you want. I had been, I had gone back to OA five years earlier, resistant to everything. Couldn't get to enough meetings. Didn't do what my sponsor wanted. Uh, nearly had a fist fight with somebody over um, how the chairs were set up at a particular meeting. And left, yeah. This time it was different. I came out of the hospital willing. I started going to meetings. Um, I um, I didn't have a sponsor, and um, I I had about three weeks, and I had a horrible day at work. And on my way home, binged my brains out, and I was here um, on um, September fifth, two thousand and nine. You know, absolutely flattened. And um, a guy named Michael B. I never asked this guy to be my sponsor. He adopted me. You know, he said, call me. And I started calling him. Uh, that first year, I was going to five meetings a week. Um, we had a small book study at my home. I went through the steps. Um, we use a format that's not official, so if you're interested in it, I can talk about it with people offline. And each step of the way, I was working the program that I was able to work. Uh, my abstinence, Michael had me go through and develop red light, green light, yellow light foods. Red light foods were everything that I simply have never eaten like a gentleman. The uh, green light foods were things that I've never binged on, like cauliflower and broccoli and things like that. And the yellow light foods are all the things that I have to be cognizant of. I of. I have, for the last uh, 28 months and change, been weighing and measuring particularly those foods. I call my sponsor every day with my food. Um, I do a bit of meditation every morning. Um, 
And it's a challenge. This is not a perfect program. I will not tell you my life is perfect. I am grateful for my job, and my job has become very, very, very stressful. Working long hours, leaving the house in the dark, coming home in the dark, feeling anxious at work. Um, One of the things that, that happened that I did, let's put that right, was my spending had always been rather flagrant. I owe a fair amount of money. Uh, I'm finally starting to look at that. I'm scared about that. I'm suddenly conscious of how old I am, which is frightening. Uh, my wife has been out of town on business for the last. I've been out of town on business for the last three weeks, and I'm somewhat. Um, I became aware of and a little ashamed of how dependent emotionally I can be on her, and the anxiety really went up. And the last three weeks, I've had to work my program much more, um, uh, more consciously. Uh, I find now that if I'm awake any time between four and five, I get up at five rather than going back, trying to go back to sleep. I've been getting up and meditating in the morning. I've never been a writer. I've been writing. Um, I've got two guys I sponsor. One guy's never met. One guy I've known for thirty years. Um, and the other one I've never met in my life, but he calls me every day from Northern California. I go to a book study meeting, a men's book study meeting every week. And, you know, I was given um, an easy program when I was new. I was able to get my recovery rather quickly. Now, at 60 years old, I have to work at it. And the thing is, is I have a program... I try to have a program I can live with because I still have to get to work. You know, I still have to pay my bills. I still have to do all those things. Um, you know, this is not the life I would be living if I had my druthers. If I had my druthers, I'd be very quietly concealing the fact that I had won the $212 million lottery recently from people <laughs> while I put together a, uh, a non-profit, you know. Um, I would have lost weight faster. But by the grace of God, I've been brought back not once, but at least twice from the edge of death. You know, I'll point out again, the cancer is 20% recovery rate with chemo. The likelihood of my dying in that hospital room 29 months ago, 28 months ago, was very high. And the only thing I can explain, the only explanation I have, as a guy, um, the explanation I have is that I've been given the grace of God. And one of the guys in the program points out that the grace of God is not earned, it's received. I was talking to one of my sponsees the other day, and he was talking about um, how something had worked out very well. And I said, he said, you, I, he said, do you have any idea why? And I said, yeah. Grace of God. Our job is not, my job is not to get abstinent. My job is to continue to stay in touch with God to the best of my ability. I have a very noisy head. It, it wakes up before I do. It wants to think about what it's going to be like to die. It wants to think about um, what will happen if and, and what about 
this and, and it wants to be all over every place. And the most difficult thing I do is bring it back to now because the alternative is to be eating. Um, Mickey, thank you again. And uh, I think I probably used up all my time. Anybody got one question? <laughs> one question? Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you keep your conscious contact with God on a daily basis? I meditate. I pray a lot. Um, I listen to, I have two tapes, or discs, I have tapes. Take myself. I have two discs. One that I play in my car almost all the time that sounds like just New Age music, but underneath it is a subliminal, which is a constant reminder of certain things. And I've picked up some things that are kind of a certain kind of meditation, like being kind. Paying attention to kindness is a meditation. But mostly it's prayer and prayer and prayer and a lot of what I call moving meditation I'll chant when I walk and working with my sponsees as a reminder 